0: Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever time of day it is when you may tune in. This is Rev. K. Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries, and this is today's episode of our Truth Tidbits, episode 66, as we continue going through the Scriptures on a daily basis to see what the Lord might direct us to. And I hope that these are a blessing to you. Today I want to pick up again in 1 Peter chapter 2 and actually conclude that chapter. And there are several verses that that, um, there are in the reading that I did today, but I'm only going to read a portion of those. But it's from verse 13 through verse 25. That's the whole passage. I encourage you to read it. In that passage, Peter is instructing us in reference to various authorities and how to submit to those authorities and how we should live our lives in and amongst the world and among these various authorities over us. And he talks in there about the, the uh, possibility and the probability of various sufferings that we would endure in This life and how we are to suffer for the Lord and and do that with honor and and do it the right way and so I do encourage you to read that it will be an encouragement to you <clears throat> and I want to pick up the reading actually in verse um, 20. He says this for what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults you take it patiently but When you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed." For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. This is the passage that I want to draw from today as we look at the example of Jesus Christ, his example to us. And he... He has, he, we should follow his example in every way. As a matter of fact, the call to his disciples, each one, according to what the scriptures tell us, was follow me. Now, when a rabbi or a leader would give that command, that, that call, that invitation to follow me, it was really in wrapped up in that understanding is this, that you would pattern your life after that person. You would learn from his example and then do and live likewise. You would watch closely how he lived and then live the same way. So I encourage you to study the Gospels and even all of the New Testament, the Apostles Follow those examples and instructions. That's what we're to do. Christ is our example in everything, not just in suffering, in everything. He's our example in how to love God, in how to love people. He's our example in uh, daily <clears throat> daily disciplines, you know, bread, daily bread. He talked about and reading the word of God. He said, man won't live by every, um, you know, by bread alone, but by every word. That proceeds from the mouth of God. He was in communication with the Lord. He was in relationship with God. He knew the word of God and he um, responded accordingly. He, he quoted it. He spoke about it. He lived in honor of it. He prayed regularly. I mean, these are all patterns for us to follow. Follow him in how he cared for people how he treated people, how he loved people, etc. So he gives us an example in every way. But the one we're going to deal with today is what Peter records here. And that is an example in suffering. Now, that Greek word for suffering (coughs) is just talking about painful experiences of of varying kinds and, and in varying degrees. So everyone suffers in some way. Some suffer extremely, some suffer in other ways, but every one of us will experience suffering. And we are called to some degree of suffering. And and the, the kind of suffering that Peter is really talking about here is when we suffer wrongfully, For the sake of Jesus Christ and for his name. That's really what he's dealing with here. But in any form of suffering, Christ has left us an example. He has left it behind when he went and ascended to the Father. He has bequeathed it to us, in a sense. And his example, I want you to understand this word, for example, and what it's really talking about. The Greek word literally can be translated as underwriting or something that's written to, that's to be copied, something that's to be imitated, copy for imitation. It also is referring to a written copy (coughs) of something that's given to beginners as an aid in learning to write those letters. So think about it like this. You know, you um, if you've ever traced maybe from stencils or you're trying to learn how to draw a horse or draw whatever. And so you, you know, may have this book that has um, the, the pattern for you in the book and you put your pa- paper on top of that and you trace it and you go exactly like that pattern in the book is, and you will come out with that, you know, that drawing, that picture that you want, or that stenciling that you want. Same kind of thing with sewing from, you know, a pattern. Um, In the olden days, anyway, I mean, I, I don't sew, so I don't know exactly all of how it goes nowadays, but I remember in the old days, we had those little paper patterns and things, And, you know, you would take those patterns. I'm assuming it's the same way today, but you would take the patterns and you would cut out the patterns exactly as it tells you. And then you would lay it on the cloth and you would then cut the cloth and then sew the cloth according to the instructions in the pattern. And when that was done, you would have an item of clothing that matched exactly what the pattern was. This is what he's talking about here. He is our example. He is the one. It's like a kindergarten student, you know, and you get the, the, um, little first letter, you know, first writing tablets and so forth where they will have the alphabet and then they'll have the alphabet kind of to where they trace the alphabet with their pencil and they, they write over those pieces, those broken dots of that alphabet letter and so forth. And then there's space for them to practice it over and over and over again. But those, those tracings are given as an aid to show them how to do it. That's what he's talking about here, that Jesus is our example in this particular context in suffering. So, let's consider his pattern. Let's consider his example that we are to imitate. Excuse me. He said here, he quoted from uh, the Old Testament in Isaiah. And he said, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. So let's talk about that at first. Now, he was the perfect son of God. He never committed any sin. He never had any deceit of any kind. And obviously, we are imperfect people. But that's why we have verses like 1 John 1, 9 that tells us when we mess it up, we come back and we confess. We ask the Lord to forgive us. He washes it away and we get right back up and we go again. So that's the way it works. I mean, it's just like a a child that's learning how to walk. You know, the child's going to fall from time to time, but what happens? You you know, you help them get right back up and then they go again. And and they do that in the process and and the more they walk and follow that the the less they're going to fall. It's a similar situation. But let's look at this. And at least consider this is the example, this is the pattern and what we should be striving for. No sin. In other words, we choose to live a holy life instead. We choose to honor the Lord. We choose to say no to sin and temptation and yes to holy living, yes to God, yes to what pleases the Lord, yes to what is good for us, yes to righteousness, There was no guile in his mouth, no deceit, no trickery. The word also can mean a decoy. In other words, there's no fakeness and no hypocrisy in him. In other words, he was a man of his word. His word was yes and amen, we're told in the scriptures. He did what he said. He, He did exactly what he promised. He was true to his word. So we can try to strive to be like that and have no guile, no deceit or trickery, no hypocrisy, no fakeness. Let's be true to our word as well and true to God's character. Let's not have hypocrisy. He had no retaliation. We saw there who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. So, in other words, he didn't retaliate. He did not return evil for evil. That requires overcoming the flesh. Because our fleshly nature wants to get back at somebody. If they charge us with something, we want to get right back. We want to defend ourselves. We want to fight back. We want to um, set the record straight. We want to retaliate. That's part of the human fleshly nature. But Jesus didn't allow that. He overcame his flesh. And he has called us to also be overcomers. That we would have not even a desire to retaliate. Also, there were no threats. It says when he suffered, he did not threaten In other words, he didn't didn't come back with threats and bullying. He didn't say, oh, you just wait, I'll get you back, or any of that. No, there was none of that, and we should have none of that. But rather, what does his example show us? Rather, instead of those things, he committed himself to him who judges righteously. In other words, he trusted God for vindication and justice. There are many injustices in the world today. You can look around. You may have even experienced many yourself. You can see them all over the planet in all kinds of places and in all kinds of ways. There are many acts of injustice Bullying, other things where people have suffered wrongfully and are suffering wrongfully. And sometimes some of the things we suffer are not justified in the sense that they shouldn't, we shouldn't necessarily have to suffer that way. But instead of choosing those fleshly uh, avenues that we just discussed, we need to follow the pattern of Jesus Christ and trust. God for vindication and for justice, and then accept it from his hand. One of the things that justice, I've learned, biblical justice, includes a desire for the person that has done the wrong to be restored, for that person to be changed, for that person to be redeemed. That's the heart of God jesus even when he was hanging on the cross said these words father forgive them for they do not know what they do he's talking about the the romans and the jews the gentiles and the jews because they were both present at the cross both were there and jesus is saying you know the jews they charged me, they attacked me, they, they falsely accused me and set up this whole thing and sent me to Pilate so he would kill me. And then you got the Romans, Pilate and, and those that put him on the cross and the Roman soldier that there was nailing his hands and his feet. So he's crying out, Father, forgive them. Both Jew and Gentile, forgive the ones who have done this to me. Forgive those who have sinned, and I have taken upon myself their sin. Forgive them of their sin. That's the heart of God. He wasn't up there pleading for vengeance. God, just wipe them off the map. He said, he said, hey, I don't have to go to the cross. I could call down 12 legions of angels. I could call, you know, and a legion is like 6,000. So he's talking about a whole bunch of angels that could have come in. If one angel can wipe out 185,000 in one night, and that's what we see happening in the Old Testament in one place, then imagine what 72,000 angels could do. I mean, he didn't have to do this. He chose to do it. He laid down his life because he loved us. He says, no greater love has anyone than this to lay down his life for his friends. And he did that for us. And even when he's hanging on the cross, he's crying out for true justice. Yes, he's crying out for vengeance. And I mean, for vindication, not vengeance, for vindication. When he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He was giving God his trust for his vindication because he was the innocent one who then could not be held by the grave and had to raise from the dead. And he knew that, and and it was all part of God's plan. And so Jesus was committing himself to the one who judges righteously for his vindication, but he was also trusting him for justice. And the heart of justice from God is to always desire for the redemption of the person. It doesn't always happen, but that's the desire of God. If the person chooses, they can be redeemed. They can fall upon Jesus and at his cross, fall in front of his cross, and and so to speak, and call out to him and repent of sin and be forgiven. They don't have to. But the offer is there. And that was the heart of God calling out for that. There's a place in the New Testament in Hebrews that talks about how the blood of Jesus speaks better things than that of Abel. The reason for that is because the blood of Abel and Abel simply in that passage represents all innocent bloodshed. All of those who have been murdered or killed. At the hands of others and their bodies were, I mean, their lives were snuffed out early and prematurely and unjustly. Those that were killed, those that were suffered wrongfully and were murdered or whatever. And so that's what the blood of Abel represents, is that the cry of the martyrs, so to speak, the cry of innocent bloodshed. And it cries out for vengeance, How long, O Lord, the cry of the martyr says, until you avenge us of this innocent bloodshed, etc. So the cry of innocent blood is calling out for vengeance. But the blood of Jesus cries out for mercy. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's the better voice that the blood of Jesus has, even in his entrusting to God, who judges righteously. He's still longing for that justice to include the forgiveness of sins to those who did him wrong. It says here in verse 24 that he himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree. In other words, it was like our sins were a big old um, heavy duty stone or backpack or weight or burden. And he literally picked those up and took them upon himself in his own body. And he suffered because of our sins, not because of his own. He did it in our place. He did it in my place. He did it in your place. And all he, we have to do is call out to him and ask him to forgive us for our sins and believe in him and his sacrifice as the finished payment for those sins that atones for them and that washes us clean and gives us a brand new life. And that's why he did it. It says right here that we, having died to sins, once we are, we call upon him, we're dead to those sins now. They're gone. They're washed away. And in their place, he's given us the ability to live for righteousness, to live for him, to live where once we were dead. And not only did he do that, but it also says here, by whose stripes you were healed. By the the tree that he bore, by the wounds that he took upon himself, by the sufferings that he endured. Not only did he form a pattern for us, not only did he take our sins and wash them away for all who will believe in him, but he also offers healing to us, the cure. The cure that will make us whole. And included in that is physical healing. Yes, God is a healer and he can heal. But it's also the cure for our sin problem. The cure, the he will make us whole and heal us from sin, from shame, from guilt, and from addiction. He will heal us. Those who will call upon him. And all of this is provided because he bore our sins in his own body on the tree of Calvary. I pray that this has been a blessing to you. And that the Lord can touch you through his word. And help you today. May God bless you today in Jesus name. And join us again for future episodes of Truth Tidbits. In Jesus' name, God bless you. Amen.